Fantastic. Well, this is uh, week two of our series on love languages, and I titled the series Learning to Love in the Same Language, that the writer of the book, Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages, he talks and uses the analogy of language that, you know, the, the way that we love one another, the way we give love and receive love is a language. And the problem is that we all speak it slightly differently. And hence, we can have conflict and we can have, you know, we're one saying one thing, one saying another, and we're just not understanding one another. And so last week, I went through a couple of the love languages. Can anyone remember the, the couple of love languages that I shared last week? Yes. Affirmation, words of affirmation. And what was the other one? Come on, yell it louder. Quality time from that South African at the back there. Thank you. I can tell that accent. Well done, Christine. So there were the two love languages we talked about last week was words of affirmation and quality time. The one thing that's really, or there's two things that are really important to remember about love. The first thing is that we all need it. It's a basic human need to be loved. You are not weird or strange or crazy because you desire or hunger love. That is actually a basic need. And the second principle that Gary brings out in his book is something called the love tank. And he talks about that within each one of us, that picture of a, of a tank of love that is able to be filled as, as we are loved in a way that we understand that in a language that means something to us, the tank gets filled up. But as we go through life, and if that isn't happening, the tank drains empty. And I, I quoted from a, um, a paediatrician or a you know, psychologist who experienced in children, a guy called Ross Campbell, and he said, much of the misbehaviour of children is motivated by the cravings of an empty love tank. And I think that's a very interesting quote. You know, wonder whether those times when our kids... You know, our grandchildren, you know, those that we can see in the classroom perhaps where they're really not coping and misbehaving, is that motivated by a sense of feeling very empty and that craving and, and need for love is not being fulfilled. So I just want to quickly go through words of affirmation and quality time for those that weren't here. So um, a great quote by Mark Twain, I could live two months on a good compliment. I love that. That is a fantastic quote. So what are words of affirmation? So for me, I kind of put them down into something really simple. It's about thanking, appreciating, complimenting and encouraging. It's about taking the most of words and speaking them out to people and really encouraging them and affirming them and even just in the little things. So words of affirmation. If you want more, obviously, the podcast is available on our website or there are books. We've got copies of Gary's book out there that you can buy. Steve went to Kurong and picked up a bunch of copies. So feel free to purchase a copy out there so you can get more information and understanding. So quality time. Okay, so quality time, a quote. You cannot truly listen to anyone and do anything else at the same time. The thing about quality time, it's about giving focused attention. It's being, you know, purposeful in the way that we spend time with people. It's looking at them, not at your phone, not at your computer, not at everything else, looking at them. It's about listening to their problems and not trying to solve them. Guilty. You know, it's actually, you want to hear their heart and also they want to hear yours. They just don't want you to solve their problems all the time. Allow them the moment to speak. 
So let's get into the last three. Very exciting. So we've done words of affirmation, quality time. The next love language is receiving gifts. And a quote here from Winston Churchill. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Interesting thoughts. I think uh, gift giving, receiving gifts as a, a love language is the easiest for each and every one of us to understand. This is something that the media portrays that, you know, we have that happening, you know, we've got our birthdays, our Christmases, our anniversaries. It's something that we've kind of inbuilt within our culture. When Gary Chapman uh, was studying, he was an anthropologist, he studied other cultures, and he investigated in every culture that he studied, gift-giving was part of the marriage act. There was a, a giving of gifts. So it's kind of like a universal language throughout the world. That, you know, in nearly every culture, there is this sense of giving a gift as, as a sign or as a symbol of, of marriage, of love, or, or, you know, those kind of things. So I think it's something really easy for us to understand. Just because we understand it doesn't mean we do it. And we're all guilty of that. So... What is receiving gifts? What is this love language? And I don't think you really need too much help with this. It's giving any gift. It's the effort that matters. It's the fact that you took a moment to think and you made an effort. The dollar value is not important, but there's something really interesting. If you don't have much money and you make a gift or you give a gift worth a dollar, it's valuable. If you've got a million dollars and you give a gift of a dollar, I don't think it communicates quite sufficiently the fact that you love and care. Does that make sense? You know, I think there's got to be a little bit of, you know, wisdom in the midst of, of what you're doing there. Um, the next one, it's a valuable investment in relationships, and I will expand on that in a moment, but it is actually an investment in your relationship, gift-giving. It's a way of saying that you love someone and what you're trying to do is, is actually build that sort of sense, invest in a healthy home relationship uh, situation. It's a gift of self. You know, I know we talked about quality time, but some people who are into gifts, the actual gift of yourself, of your time being with them, is actually also part of that, of that gift, particularly um, when times are tough, just the fact that you're with them is a gift to them. And I kind of put this in here, it's not only a lady's love language. I think we can be guilty to think, you know, it's that typical thing that the women like the bunch of flowers brought home, they like the box of chocolates, you know, it's all about the women, they, they like the diamonds, well, we do, but you know, it's not just a lady's love language. There are men out there that this is their language and they also appreciate gifts. That's how it, they, they understand love, it, it means something to them. So there are gift people, and I, I tend to find all the people that I know who have the gift, receiving gifts as their love language, they are an exceedingly generous person. And sometimes I think the two kind of go hand in hand. They cannot show up at your house without something. They can't show up empty-handed. We had some people arrive at ours, and what was the gift that you gave us? When you can't arrive empty-handed, I think it was the label. Was that right? That was the label on the jar. Because someone's actually made a product called that when you're going to someone's house and you just can't turn up empty-handed. We have a couple that we know very, very well. And uh, we did uh, pre-marriage counselling, post-marriage counselling, and we continue to counsel them whenever we see them. 
And uh, in fact, we invi- we're invited to the, a, a, a party, uh, a wedding anniversary party. And the quote in the text was, we've been married five years and we're not divorced yet. Now, the interesting thing about this couple is she is a gifts girl. And she is exceedingly generous. She doesn't, money means nothing to her. If someone's in need, she'll just give. She came to our place, she'd always come with something lavish. She organised a, a weekend away for us. She's an exceedingly generous girl. The person that she fell in love with and ended up marrying is a self-confessed miser. He is as stingy as they come. And that is, and look, he will admit uh, that is exactly what he's like. And so you can imagine the conflict that ensued between these two. He could not understand her giving her money away. Why would you do that? Why would you give your money away? To him, money was security. Money was safety. Money made him feel good, money in the bank. Um, Once they were married, he continued to charge her rent to live in the house. can't say that I kept my mouth shut on that issue. <laughs> I was like, what? So, you know, um, we would t- take great delight, uh, you know, because, we, you know, Steve married them and uh, we gave them a lot of time. She would say, by the way, we're taking them out to dinner and you're paying. And so we would make it, you know, he would have to know in advance and prepare mentally for the fact that he had to give away some of his money to pay for dinner. The problem was, and I I said that earlier on, the whole thing about um, it being an investment. He failed to see the value of giving gifts to his wife was investing in the relationship. You see, his saving was investing in his own self-worth, security. That's what he was investing in by saving his money, by hoarding. But he failed to see that, that opportunity to give gifts, to actually bless his wife in small ways was actually investing in their relationship and in their marriage. And we are excited to attend their anniversary that they have made five years and he has made incredible progress. And we still give him a hard time about how miserly he is and how stingy. But, you know, he's got to, he's got to retrain his thinking. He's always thought this way. And it's not easy. It's not easy to change the way we think. But you have to understand gifts is an investment in the other person. It's an investment in your relationship. So how can we do it? I reckon try out different gifts. You know, some things mean more things than others. Cards and flowers and chocolates. and It doesn't have to be much, but it's the fact that you make an effort. Handmade gifts count. Who has had children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews that have made you a handmade card, brought home a painting? I see that hand. Do you know what? I wonder how they would appreciate something like that back. Our daughter Chloe was a bit of a gifts girl. She used to love making us things, write us little notes. And I, and I tried to give some of those things back to her because I recognised that they meant something to her. That, you know, handmade things are actually really special, even though you kind of look at the picture and you go, what is it? That doesn't matter. They still appear on our fridge. We had Kiri's stuff in our fridge. We were due for a new one, I think. But, you know, it's kind of like they mean something. Use nature to your advantage. We had some friends pop over uh, recently, and they bought us a bouquet of herbs. It was wonderful. 
absolutely appreciate rosemary and, and some spring onions and some mint, some basil tied up in string and it looked like a bouquet of flowers. It was fantastic. Do you know, um, can I say that um, stealing flowers from the local cemetery or crematorium, don't know if that quite counts. <laughs> Had dinner with someone this week that confessed up that perhaps once or twice he may have done that as a gift thing for his wife. Mmm, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe... maybe you know, the neighbour's garden might be better than, than that. And that was only the leftovers, apparently. Uh, um, and write a list of the things they mention. You know when you're walking down the street and they go, gee, I really love that. You've got to kind of go home and make a note because we do tend to forget. I don't know about you, but I tend to forget. John used the great scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, God's love language is giving. He gave himself for us. God is a giver. And what we're doing as we give to others is a response to what God has done for us in his giving. Okay, acts of service. Mother Teresa, someone that I think we could quite honestly take a quote from in the realm of acts of service. Do small things with great love. Acts of service is a thing of serving people, doing things to serve and to help and to assist people around about you. They will always find a way to do something to serve. So what are sort of acts of service? I call them simple acts. They don't have to be major. They don't have to be massive. Cup of tea, you know, taking out the rubbish, making the bed, serving in the kitchen, cleaning serving in the sound desk. We've got some great servers that I believe they're... One of their love languages acts as service. I think uh, Ron does incredible stuff around here. If we ask Ron to do anything, it's done. Carlene, what do you reckon? Is he an acts of service kind of guy? She's nodding. Liz Lloyd, unbelievable server. Thank you, Liz, for unending amounts of service, not just here but in the broader community. You think of Steve Bacconi, cleaning, Kevin, those guys that, you know, in the kitchen, those guys that just love to serve and help, you know? It goes beyond gender stereotypes. What do I mean? We all grew up with an image of what a man and a woman did in the household, you know? Perhaps those of us that are older, more so. Um, you know, so it was the man's job to take the rubbish out. It was the woman's job to clean, you know, those kind of things. It was the, the, the wife's job to do the cooking, uh, you know, it's the man's job to mow the lawn. But I want to tell you, access service is not bound by gender stereotypes. I, um, I make the bed nearly every morning and I got out of the bathroom this morning and I found my husband had served me by making the bed and I thought that was wonderful. He is an access service kind of person. So, you know, that sort of sense of, you know, it's not bound by what role or, or you know, it, it's about serving in whatever way and what is meaningful. And it's not a demand... Access service is not demanding and it's not an obligation. You do it out of a response of love. When one of our kids was around about eight years old, we struggled to get them out of bed, which was one unusual for this one because he was, he was always up and out and energetic. And this went on for a, quite a few weeks and Steve and I were getting rather frustrated with him and you know, I may have raised my voice and you know, used that kind of you know, disciplinarian methodology to see if I could motivate him by yelling at him to get out of bed and hurry up and it didn't work. My husband, who is an acts of service love language, he decided to try something a little different. 
And he got a tray and he made a cup of tea and some toast and some cereal or whatever it was that uh, Alex was loving at the time. And he took it into him for breakfast. And it was like we had our child back again because he bounded out of bed, he got ready for school. And Steve and I just looked at each other and went, hello, I think we just hit something. Alex is an acts of service kind of kid and he was, his love tank was feeling pretty empty, obviously. And so we, we did this and we didn't do it every morning, but Steve would you know, occasionally just make the effort and take Alex breakfast in bed when we just had that sense that he was flagging a little bit and just needed to know that we loved him. And around the same time, he came out. So, you know, he's eight. And he came out and he had his school shoes on and he'd put his foot out like this and he'd go, can you do up my shoelaces? And I'd look at him and go, don't be ridiculous. You're eight years old. For goodness sake, do up your own shoelaces. Has anyone else responded with love like that to their child? (laughs) And after this happened several times, I suddenly went, ooh, ooh. Ouch. He's not asking me to do up his shoelaces. He's saying, Mum, do you love me? If you love me, you'll serve me and do up my shoelaces. I know it's hard, isn't it? Because that part of me that's just, you know, be independent child and grow up. And I had to actually go, sure, honey, I'll do up your shoelaces. He didn't ask it very often, but I recognised when he did What was the cry of his heart? So, acts of service. How do I do them? I reckon it's assisting with the ordinary chores. It's not hard. Sacrifice your own time and energy for for the other. It's giving of your time and your energy and yourself for the other. Listen to their complaints. In our house, when Steve's feeling like his love taint's getting a bit low, particularly when we've had a house full of, you know, said children and, you know, ring-ins and all of that, he'll hear this, why doesn't anybody empty the rubbish bin? Why am I always the one? And I went, ah, that's his love language. His act of service that would mean something really important to him is when someone would just empty the rubbish bin for him. Do you know, listen to the complaint because it's probably a signal or a sign of the area where he would just love, or they, she would love for you to jump in and serve them in some way. Am I right? Is that, is that true? Yeah. And ask them what matters to them. Don't, you know, sometimes I think that whole thing in any relationship, communication is important. You actually have to communicate. Ask the questions. What, what's meaningful to you? What would really mean something to you? What would help you say, show that I love you and I care for you? What could I do for you? Don't be afraid to communicate. Scripture from Philippians 2.5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came and he served us. He served every one of us. He was a servant for us. And we too need to learn to speak that love language to one another. Our last love language is uh, physical touch. And uh, again, this one, you know, in some ways doesn't really need lots of explanation about what I mean. 
I love this quote by Bobby Fischer. He was a famous chess player. He said, nothing eases suffering like human touch. Chapman quotes, babies who are held, hugged and kissed develop a healthier emotional life than those who are left for long periods of time without physical contact. None of my children could ever say that they were not hugged or kissed and neither will any of my grandchildren. They probably will screw up their face when I do it, but that is irrelevant. Um, now, how is it that a mother who, you know, my probably second primary language is physical touch, how is it that I manage to raise children who do not like physical touch when that's what I cuddled and I kissed them? You know what? It's, I, I can't believe that I have a child who just hugs me like this. And I'm, I'm at the grimace. Do I have to actually hug my mother? It's just like... And I thought, that child was hugged and kissed and cuddled. and So that didn't... You know what I mean? I showed that affection, but it's just not within his nature to do that. Before I talk about physical touch, I just want to make a couple of points really clear. That what I'm talking about is, is relationships of family, of very close friends, when I talk about physical touch. Here at Bayview, we adhere to the safe churches policy. And you need to understand that you cannot physically touch other people without their permission. And you definitely cannot touch children without the consent of parents. Okay, so in this community, we want it to be safe for all. And so as I talk about physical touch, I need you to understand it's in the light of family, partners, close, you know, siblings. It's that sort of thing that I'm in talking in context with. In the broader context, we have to be, allow people safety. We have to allow people that sense of being safe and secure in an environment and that we cannot do things without permission. Does that make sense? Is everyone sort of understanding where I'm coming from? So, what is physical touch? And I kind of thought about this, and obviously this is a really short list. You guys know what I mean. But I wanted to highlight these three things. The thing is that when someone's crying, all I want to do is hug them. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but for me, I want to bring comfort. I think a hug does that thing of comfort and security. It's going to be okay. You know, there's someone here that's just supporting you and comforting you. A squeeze, on the other hand, when I talk about that, it's that thing, you know, when you kind of get up beside someone and you just give them a little side-on squeeze, it's kind of like, it's going to be, it's an encouraging thing. You know, just sort of think of encouraging them. And, you know, the sort of, the, I've called it the arm or the back pat. I know it sounds a bit, a bit silly, but to me, that's a thing of empathy. If I give your arm a little squeeze or I pat your back, it's me saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, I'm hearing you, I'm understanding you. And I, you know, I, it's that thing of going, I understand. And there's, you know, obviously far more things into the... But to me, there's some of the ones that I think, you know, are highlighted. With all love languages, it doesn't come natural. And, you, and for those like my son and my husband, um, you know, they've had to learn... Well, my husband's learnt. Um, my son is still learning. Uh, when Steve and I went on our first date, we had already acknowledged that we liked each other and we thought, you know, we've got something special going on here. So he took me out on a date and we were sitting having dinner and his hand was on the table. Do you remember this, honey? <laughs> and his hand was sitting on the table and being the physical touch person that I am, I went and I put my hand on top of it. Now, Steve's got a natural sort of tan, you know, he's got a lot, very olive skin and he went very pasty pale at that point. 
And that at the end of the first date, I thought maybe this relationship won't go anywhere at all because I said, oh, could I have a hug? You know, I was thinking, this is kind of cute. And he went like this. And I went, oh, Lord, this is not good. This is not going to go anywhere at all. <laughs> Thankfully, he learnt that his, his wife does enjoy a hug and a cuddle. You know, that, uh, that, that horrible, insipid, weak, you know, limp wrist, doesn't do anything for me. So, but you know what? He's had to learn. It's not natural, just like it's not natural for Alex at all to hug. He just doesn't like that. So... How do you make the most of physical touch? A couple of suggestions. Make the most of special events. If it's a special event, it's like an alarm clock. Ring, ring, ring. Ah, special event. I should hug. I should hold hands. I should give them a squeeze or a kiss on the cheek or, you know, give them some sort of physical contact to affirm. It's a, it's a great opportunity to remind you. The leaving, leaving home and coming home. They're great moments to kiss goodbye, to say hello, to give a hug. Again, a bit of an alarm clock. Recognise that little things matter. Holding hands, being near one another, just that little touch, I'm here, I'm right with you. Those things really matter. And finally, don't ignore their attention. Um, the one thing that can happen with physical touch is we can assume that if someone wants to get intimate, that, you know, that's all they're interested in. But, you know, if someone wants to hold your hand or, or stroke your arm, that may just be the fact that they're trying to say that they love you. And don't bat them away and go, go away, leave me alone. Who's guilty of that? <laughs> Come on. Some of you are, I know it. Our daughter Chloe, she's, uh, she, she loves, and she's, what I said, they ask for a hug. She comes to me all the time and goes, Mum, can you give me a hug? Mum, I need a hug, hug me even when she was in England. Mum, I need a hug. I mean, oh, it's a bit hard, honey. You're in England. But when she's, you know, that's it. She knows to ask because she is a physical touch girl. But she'll often come and stand behind me and she'll just play with my hair. It's just her way of saying, Mum, I love you. And Steve and I were talking through the message. He talked about how does God show his love to us through physical touch? And Steve reminded me of the presence of God that comes. And I know for me that that is very true. That, that sense of the presence of God where I just feel a peace or there's just this, this sense that is beyond my natural sense. And I believe that that is God coming physically and just touching us and assuring us of his love. The reality is we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And in 1 John it says, we love because he first loved us. Part of our unique love language is a reflection of the nature and character of God. We've got this from God. You know, God speaks words of affirmation to us through his word. God gives us quality time. His Holy Spirit is with us. God gives us gifts. He's given us the gift of Jesus. He's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. God has served us. He came as man. And God presences himself with us. And we are able to love God back in our own way. Whatever that love language is that you have, you are able to love God back in that way. 
Matthew 25, verses 40 to 45, tells a great story. And it begins with this. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I've just had a, a little bit of a, you know, a revelation, a light came on this morning when I um, recognised that, you know, my words of affirmation, I actually love praise. I love the times of praise and declaration. I love in prayer to be able to declare out to God and acclaim and, and, and thank him. And I suddenly went, oh, that's me giving back words of affirmation to God. Because words of affirmation mean something to me. I love God back in the same language. And I recognise and I've often had this complaint to God. Gee, I wish I was more of a quality time person because I'd find it much easier to sit down and pray and spend time with you if you'd made me quality time. But, you know, that's the thing is, though. Quality time is about sitting and spending time with God and in his presence. I realise that, that coming together on a Sunday is giving God quality time to focus in on him. It's about giving him our attention, not being distracted by other things. The whole thing of gifts, you know, the greatest gift you can give him is the gift of yourself to God. Serving him. Whatever we want to do and, and, and in response to showing our love to God, we can show through others. That serving God is serving others. That's what that scripture is about in Matthew. Praising God and praising is praising others. Giving a gift of yourself to God and giving a gift of yourself to others is still showing God love. Serving him, serving others. The only one I couldn't quite is that physical touch. How do we physically touch God? How do we give that love language back to God? And I just went, you know, the only way we can do it is by reaching out and touching others. And Mother Teresa was the greatest example that I know of of that, where she was willing to love the leper and the poor and the needy. But again, we have to do that in a respectful way. So can I affirm to you that you are all loved? And you are loved in a way that is meaningful by God. And I pray and hope that others around you will love you in a way that is meaningful. But I also pray and hope that you will open up your eyes to those around about you and you will love them in a way that is meaningful to them.